0: Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the program. We are your hosts, Aaron and Matthew Miller. Tonight we are going to discuss the Reshea Project. This project, as chronicled in Zechariah, the fifth chapter, goes a whole lot deeper than you would expect. We're going to talk about dimensions that no one could possibly see coming. Literally this goes straight from the prophet Zechariah straight to the Patmos vision and if you don't have eyes that can see it will truly mesmerize you for this really does speak to his wonders that he intends to perform inside the tribulation so with no further ado Aaron what's your opening comments on this particular uh, passage it's it's to me it's always been quite the enigma but what's your thoughts
1: yeah we see a, a problem with the English translation from the Hebrew uh, largely caused by them not using the Septuagint for help Interpretation in my translation of the book of Genesis, I have been using the Septuagint to aid in with interpretation of the Hebrew. Again, the Hebrew is very vague, I've mentioned this before in other shows, and Greek is very precise. So, we have a problem with the English translations from the Hebrew, and it can it says if you read this chapter in Most translations, it'll tell you you something entirely different from what it's supposed to say.
0: And let's be fair about this. The earliest copies that we have of the Septuagint is a thousand years older than the most recent manuscripts we have of the Masoretic text. So let's be fair. Really, what we have on hand is an inversion of what you just said. Really, the Masoretic text must be a translation of the Septuagint now most people that's highly offensive to them and it just blows me away but mostly just exclusively the Hebrew roots people because beyond any shadow of a doubt you have the New Testament in Greek that's what it is you can take that to the bank we have Thousands of manuscripts. There is no greater attested document in history compared to the New Testament Greek. There just isn't. I mean, you can take Homer's Iliad. You can take all these ancient texts. They they are nothing. They're not even a shadow of the manuscript evidence we have for that Greek New Testament. So this quite it it creates quite the enigma because. Most people in their mind, they think that Septuagint is a translation of the Hebrew. But that original Paleo-Hebrew does not exist. We only have it in the Masoretic text. So, God has done this to us. Well, there's a rhyme for every reason that he presents. And you, Aaron, have been taught this from your youth. There's so much data there it takes two languages to do it. We're literally speaking about God's word. How could one language possibly contain everything that it has? So when you really look at this text, it's really off the hook. So let's read this first uh, in the traditional sense. We're going to read it out of the web translation. So this is a translation of what the Hebrew states. Now, there's not too much meat to this chapter. It's only 11 verses, but oh my goodness, it is saturated with statistical information. It it it's it's just enough to blow your mind. So, let's do this from the top from the web translation. Zechariah chapter 5. Then again I lifted up my eyes and behold a flying scroll. He said to me, "What do you see?" I answered, I see a flying scroll, its length is 20 cubits, and its breadth 10 cubits. Then he said to me, This is the curse that goes out over the surface of the whole land. For everyone who steals shall be cut off according to it on the one side, and everyone who swears falsely shall be cut off according to it on the other side. I will cause it to go out, says YHVH of armies, and it will enter into the house of the thief, and into the house of him who swears falsely by my name, and it will remain in the midst of his house, and will destroy it with its timber and its stones. Then the angel who talked with me came forward, and he said, now lift up your eyes and see what this that is appearing he said what is it i said it is an ephah basket that is appearing and he said moreover this is their appearance in all the land and behold a talent of lead was lifted up and this is a woman sitting in the midst of the ephah basket he said this is wickedness and he threw Her down into the midst of the ephah basket and threw the weight of lead on its mouth. Then I lifted up my eyes, and behold, there were two women, and the wind was in their wings. Now, they had wings like the wings of a stork, and they lifted up the ephah basket between earth and the sky. And I said to the angel who talked with me, What are these carrying, the ephah baskets? he said to me, to build her a house in the land of Shinar. When it's prepared, he will; she will be set there in her own place. Wow, Aaron. Off the hook. Opening comments to the Hebrew text.
1: Okay, so we have um, this is where we're going to see some deviance in the, uh, the Difference in the Greek text and why it's going to say something so different. It says in the he, in this translation from the Hebrew, um, it says a flying scroll. The next um, the Septuagint instead says a flying sickle. A sickle is a uh, reaping instrument um, that looks a lot like a scimitar, and it's uh, it's kind of like a sword that that's um, yeah it's used for uh, harvest. So. And then the other differences you're going to see in the two translations. So that this translation from the Hebrew will say um, uh, there are two sides mentioned here on the on this scroll. But instead, in the in the um, Septuagint version, it says the it says a, a a sickle that and it says they'll both be used on the same side. So there's not two sides. There's only one side, and we know what that side on a sickle instrument V. be so you're talking about the razor edge
0: on you're talking about the, the, the business end of the sickle which is, is a far cry from it being a roll or a scroll correct yes. I mean it's a far cry but let us be exacting in what we're trying to relate here the Hebrew translates well you call it H440 the whole reason why they're they calling it that because that does mean a roll or a scroll. However, the Septuagint is using a word that is exactly like it. You just add the hay to it, which creates the feminine. So You have to realize that when you go to uh, H4038, that's the same exact word minus the hay. So, this is an easy mix-up in the Hebrew to the Septuagint, correct? Mm-hmm. It's very, it's, it's natural. that's what you do if you want to feminize the form of a word. Put that hay on the end and there you go. So this is being riddled unto us just enough to blow your mind. Because we have serious problems when you want to attribute this to a sickle, don't you? Because of the dimensions. How does this make sense, Aaron? How does it make sense that this sickle was 20 by 10. How does that make sense? Because uh, for one thing, you've got massive problems trying to depict a sickle with rectangular dimensions. What's your thoughts?
1: Okay, so either you're using, you could use a, um, the the surface area and we're talking about a, uh, I use this in, in, geometry. You just take the length towards the overall width and then you multiply it by that and you basically have all the area that this thing takes up, but you might not necessarily have, you know, how you know the the dimensions of the blade itself since it has a curve. So this is basically if you were to set it into a rectangle, that would be the size. So that's that's a possibility. Another possibility we talked about is that these are referring to time. These this, these dimensions are references to time. You know, uh, somehow 20 by 10 is a uh, instead of a qubit. We've mentioned this before in another show. It can be a reference to a measure of time or a unit. And then we have a another concept. It means a span. So you have a field, okay? You have a field of, that you're about to harvest. And this sickle is going to go uh, cut down this area of that dimension. So we're talking about how how big the field is. We have twenty measures by ten measures, and that's basically the size of the harvest field that he's that the sickle is about to go harvest. But and this concept is may surely be explained in. Uh, Revelation
0: chapter 14. No doubt about that, because it's it's in your face. He just riddles it to you. Instead of, in this text we get the equation, but in Revelation chapter 14, he gives you the answer. So, it is an equation, but you're missing one thing, aren't you? Because you must be talking about the business end of the sickle, because you wouldn't give those dimensions in reference to the handle. Because you gotta swing the thing; it has to be swung. So, this creates quite a quite a riddle. But the magnifying event here is is what everybody wants to concentrate in this text is these women, right? Mm-hmm. This is where uh, the epitaph for this episode comes from. Tell me, where does the name of this episode come from?
1: We made it, we've made reference to this multiple times before, but. Um... The Rishia project comes from when this angel says, this is wickedness, and he puts it into the basket.
0: And more importantly, he seals her over
1: with lead. Yeah, the word for wickedness is Roshea in Hebrew. Um, and it, and this, this project is weighed by an ephah, and an ephah is a measure of,
0: you know... Once again, we're back to time. Or it's either a time or a dimension but the magnifying event here is because you didn't have eyes that could see that the Hebrew word, the reason why they translated it as scroll was because it was the Hebrew feminine form of sickle is enough to blow your mind Aaron, what everybody was failing to see is that this is a feminine sickle And this is attached to this this woman that is wickedness and these two women with the wind in their stork-like wings. Amen? Mm -hmm. Now, the ephah means what in Hebrew? It's a measure of grain specifically. So this
1: is definitely in reference to that reaping.
0: With this in mind, let's put this to task. No one is expecting us to cover these things, but you have actually put together a family tree for this cloven. Let us be very exacting in what I'm going to deliver. This is actually them trying to get their miraz. Their This is the breeding program for their Mawaz, their savior for the fall. Yep. Now, false Christ. This is the false Christ. So his mother is wickedness that is put into this protective stasis. Now, the first thing that blows my mind about the lead, what is so special about lead, Aaron?
1: Lead um, is the most dense material we have, and um, can block out radio frequencies, I believe.
0: Radiation, yes. Any type of Wavelength. Any type of wavelength, it stops at deaden's tracks. Now, with that in mind that that makes you take a step back, doesn't it? Because implementing celestial somology, we know about the celestial scapegoat. We've talked about that. I've did multiple broadcasts on it. We have written texts that people can consult on. well, this sign of the Son of Man and this celestial scapegoat. So, backing off from that, we have to realize that would this possibly hinder the angelic from being able to detect it? We don't know. One thing is for sure. It seems like this is an extraterrestrial relocation, and this most assuredly has something to do with the Book of Obadiah beyond any shadow of a doubt because you have in the opening uh, diatribe, once the report is given, that it is amazing that this nest is mentioned in the stars. I will direct everybody to Obadiah uh, verses uh, four, one. four and five. Chapter one verses four and five. Well, that must be the case because there's only one chapter in Obadiah. Uh, Though you build high like an eagle, though you set your nest among the stars from there, I will bring you down, declares the Lord. This is quite possibly an extraterrestrial relocation that these two cloven. And the only thing I can come up with is they are protecting the mother of the Antichrist. They're protecting the, well, the Moas of the Fallen.
1: Well, I disagree. What what they come most specifically, they've come to do is to carry her away. And so, um, in our, in our, um, in this family tree that I put together, I mean, I, I found that these two women given names in Ezekiel twenty three, Ohola and Ohi. Olheba, and uh, they represent uh, Samaria and uh, Jerusalem uh, isochronally But, in this sense, um, something that really stands out is um, Ahola, I chose that this would Okay, let me step, make, take a few, two, few step backs. So, we've mentioned in other shows that there is uh, the males of course has a mother and a
0: father right, this, the mother, this cloven, this great harlot of Revelation, she's the one inside the ephah, now we know from Daniel that she is used as a bartering tool, and you're probably correct, this is what they're actually doing, they're incarcerating her, and they are going to use her for a bartering tool, because they have the cloven, And what the other side has is, of course, the male seed.
1: Yeah, we have a um, – Daniel chapter 11 describes to us a rebellion. Okay, so the satanic order, that I call it, or the order of Satan, is is made up of seven different angels. Um, Azazel was one of them. He is kept in the bottomless pit, and he was part of the first incursion. Two other, angels, two other of the Satans were with him, Samael and Aramiel, but they seem right. to have been um, kept in an, another place. Um, Revelation refers to them as being uh, trapped by the Euphrates River. And then, the, then there's another two who appeared on the second incursion after the flood, Nabu and Kazdai. And these two um, are also kept bound by the River Euphrates. That leaves only two left. Um, one of them who has, who is the superior is Abaddon, and he um, is the one who uh, probably is, is referenced in the New Testament. Right. He's probably the Satan in the New Testament. He
0: is the one that is to come. No, oh, he
1: is the one who is. Oh,
0: he's the one that is.
1: And then the, there's another one with him whom I have deemed Belial. He's mentioned right. throughout the scriptures, and he rebels against Abaddon, um, and this causes – so what these two angels, what the satanic was order was ever founded on, was the concept that they could have a messiah. That angels could have some sort of messiah. We're not entirely sure for what purpose they want it for, but this is what they always wanted. Five have fallen already, and Abaddon and, and Belial disagree how to go forward on this. But Belial gains his own power and his own dominion and sets up the
0: kingdom of the north is what it's called. Okay, so this is where the rubber hits the road. Daniel chapter 11, this is referencing the king of the north. hmm Okay. So. And uh, then
1: Abaddon represents the king of the south. Of the
0: south. And we have this, isochronally speaking, well, we could even, even Bernice, correct? Yep. This cloven is used as a burning trip. Having the mother is not enough. You've got to have the seed of the scapegoat to impregnate this perfect cloven with.
1: Yes. This is, what, this is what it appears. That um, the scripture says that, um, that Ephraim is the maaz of the Lord. Right. And um, also, we, they, they all knew that the Messiah was supposed to be the morning star. So of course they all f- believed then that Azazel, the Dawn Star, would have to be the father. So here, this is where the two groups of the Roshea project is divided. So over here, Abaddon is breeding a perfect mother. Now we've mentioned this process in one of our earlier shows, where um with the genetics of the false prophet or the Antichrist, this figure is um, the mother would have to be bred very uh, through a lot of incest and through that process um, the this would give a perfect mother to get a child who would have a perfect DNA Uh, we refer to it as the double S DNA um, with the um, Whereas uh, males are X and Y, and females are X and X, this would be SS, after the um, the sex identity of an angel. Right. Now, even though Abaddon has bred the perfect mother, on the other side, somehow Belial has discovered the DNA of Azazel, and I'm not sure how he gets it. But, um... We assume that it probably is the blood of his son Beelzebul, but they would have to find it somewhere, possibly through, you know, archaeology or something like that. But somehow they get to it first. And Abaddon realizes we can't get our Maas without making a marriage between these two. You have the perfect father for the Maas, and we have a perfect mother. Right. The father we refer to is Nisroch, um, bred by his mother, Ahola, who's given the DNA of Azazel through his son, Sabol. So, um, Nisroch, who is referenced in scripture, um, is the father of this figure. And then his mother we refer to as Rishia, of course.
0: So, let us be clear that it's psalms chapter 60 verse 7 and is identically repeated in psalms 108 verse 8 that states specifically what the male side has to be can you explain that can you elaborate on that
1: well no this is the mother here um it's, it's the ephraim also is the helmet of my head that word for helmet is of course males so um and also the word for head is Rosh, of course, which also can refer to a leader of a sort. Right. So, um, the mother, of course, would have to have the human genetics for him. Right. And his human genetics is Ephraim. This is why he's called Messiah ben Joseph. And the father side has to have the angelic. This is basically... I mean, if you were to take this into Greek mythology, it's perfectly described with Uranus and Gaia. Uranus representing heaven and Gaia representing earth. Earth,
0: This symbiotic entity. This is the whole purpose, is to create symbiosis. It's the the perfect symbiotic organism between the angelic and the human. Which is
1: why Zechariah chapter 5 would go out of its way to say, when they pick up this ephah, these two men pick up the ephah and carry it between
0: Earth and Heaven. This would be the perfect representation for that. Now, we can pause there just for a minute, because we got in pretty heavy debate the other day. This thing really makes sense if this really was, they had been taken to the celestial scapegoat. Mm-hmm.
1: If that's, I mean, if it's a, if the celestial scapegoat is a gas giant, I mean, that sounds pretty near impossible. Let's,
0: let's just talk about this. We figured out what, what possibly could be referenced here. Just take note. There is such a thing as black lead oxide, correct? Yeah. That being said, maybe we'll just pause that part right there. We've got so much ground to cover. So, when you take this, this Greek word and start going through the scripture, it's just enough to blow you away at the different places that it goes. Um, uh, for one, uh, we have this uh, in, in Mark, the sickle. This, this sickle is literally uh, used by Christ Uh, To signify the harvest at the end of the age Uh, Let's read this out of the web translation uh, Starting with verse 26 The kingdom of God is as if a man should cast seed on the earth And should uh, sleep and rise night and day And the seed should spring up and grow He doesn't know how for the earth bears fruit, first a blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. And when the fruit is ripe, immediately he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. Now, we're going to talk a little bit here. Uh, you realize that, Aaron, um, this thing is used repeatedly in Revelation chapter 14. It's in 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, and 19. Sickle is all over this place, but when you look at the text, you're like, hold on a minute. Well, it's it, it's enough to blow your mind. So, before we go there and talk about this sickle, let's go back to Zechariah chapter 5. Let's read it one more time in the Greek let's read it one time in the Thompson translation you're going to hear things a whole lot differently ladies and gentlemen so let's just listen to your reading of it Zechariah chapter 5 then I turned and lifted up my eyes and look and lo a flying sickle and he said to me what dost thou see and I said I see a flying sickle twenty cubics long and ten cubits broad. Whereupon he said to me, this is the curse which is going forth over the face of the whole earth, since every thief on the one hand is to be punished with death, and every false swearer on the other hand is to be punished. Therefore I will bring it out, saith the Lord Almighty, and it shall enter into the house of the thief, and into the house of him who sweareth by the name to a falsehood and it shall lodge in his house and destroy it with timber and with the stones thereof then the angel who was talking with me went out and said to me look up with thine eyes and see this which is going out and he said what is it and he said this is the measure which is going away then he said this is the iniquity of them in all this land then, lo, a talent of lead was brought out, and, lo, a woman was seated in the midst of the measure. And he said, This is the iniquity. And he threw her down into the measure, and he threw the mass of lead on her mouth. And I lifted up my eyes and looked, and, lo, two women came out, and there was wind by their wings. Now, they had, been, they had the wings of a stork. And when they had lifted up the measure between heaven and earth, I said to the angel who was talking with me, "Whither are they carrying the measure? And he said to me, to build a house for it in the land of Babylon, and to make preparation that they may place it there on its base.
1: So so here are two very interesting things we need to note. Well, one translation says, well, well, the Hebrew says the land of Shinar. Yep. The Septuagint says the land of Babylon. Shinar is the Hebrew word for Sumer. Sumer is a large area that contains the land of Babylon. Most specifically, the city Borsippa. It says we, they may place it on its base. We've talked about this recently.
0: The With Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah. Most yeah. appropriately, Nebuchadnezzar. Comes that that name is of course from this fallen from the second incursion.
1: Yeah, but but what's what's very important here is that Porcipa, you can look this up B O R C S I P P A is we we know uh, without a shadow of a doubt that is the base of the Tower of Babel because how do we know this? The inscription written on it. It's by from who? By Nebuchadnezzar second, the one who's in the Bible, he writes on it that he basically describes the Tower of Babel event, and then he said he just built around its base. He fixed it up because it had been shattered, he described. The rock had been shattered. You can actually go there and find that the sand around the base had been turned into glass. So here, when it says they may place it on its base, is it talking about the Tower of Babel?
0: Well, more importantly, let's do this. I mean, maybe that should be left for a specific episode itself, especially with these nodes and the actual computer servers, possibly for the seven different branches of the tongue itself. But just take a deep breath, everybody, because this is what I think. I think it's on this base that Daniel chapter three actually took place. Nebuchadnezzar builds this idol and puts it on top of that base.
1: Yep, because um, uh, this, this base, is called a ziggurat, there's always a shrine at the top. It's, it's basically all it is is like four dimensions. All the four dimensions have stairs that lead up to the top where there's a shrine. It's, it's a lot like a pyramid, but not exactly. So, um, yeah, the shrine on the top This would be where he set up this idol. But setting up this idol makes uh, setting up this idol reminds us of something, is doesn't it? Well, what we mentioned in in this chapter in Zechariah chapter five, we have two different things: two women, that's right, and two groups of people, that's right. And the first group of people is the ones who steal, the thief, the thief, and then the ones who swear falsely is the second group. This event is described in Judges.
0: It is, before we go there, okay, let's give the backdrop. Let's take another backdrop, Aaron, and I don't want to spend too much time on it. You need to hook up Daniel chapter 3 and the image of the beast. And you could put in the place of Nebuchadnezzar, the false Assyrian prophet. Now, that being said, let's go back to Judges. What are you talking about? Since when is some idol stolen? And since when is it, What are you talking about?
1: Okay, in the latter chapters of Judges, um, it refers to how a man named Micah, uh, probably not the same prophet, of course, but this Micah from Ephraim which tells you he represents the bloodline of Ephraim, he builds an idol and he gets an, a Levite to be his priest. So it appears to me this man tries to make an idol of the Lord.
0: And that is exactly what's described in these, well, the final three
1: yeah. chapters. I mean, and I've, and I've thought about this myself. God commanded that no one make an idol. But then when you think Well, what if it's just about God? What if it's an idol of God? But he still never wanted it.
0: He still never wanted it. Because then
1: you start start worshipping an image and not him. And what does that tell you? These people, this Micah, was swearing falsely to God. But he's trying to make an idol that represents
0: the Lord, but is not. Well, let's take a look at the very first verse. Judges chapter 19. It happened in those days. When there was no king in Israel. That there was a certain Levite. Living in the. Farther side of the hill country. Of Ephraim. Who took him a concubine. Out of Bethlehem. Judah. Now. Aaron. Is he describing. Whoever. Whoever has this male seed that they need to impregnate the cloven.
1: Yeah, we, we... This... So this starts in Judges chapter 17 and moves to uh, chapter 18. In 17, this this... Idol is made. Right.
0: Where is it made? The same exact place we just described. There was a man in the hill country of Ephraim whose name was Micah.
1: Yeah. This man, this Ephraimite, he gets a Levite to be his priest.
0: Yes. Now look. If you can't see these two cloven all over, I don't. I can't help you. Verse two. He said to his mother. You don't realize. That This is a harlot orchestrating this whole thing? We, of course, also know of Adagope, the queen of Babylon. This woman is orchestrating the whole thing, correct? So, when you put these up on the board and start going down the line, oh my goodness. So, why don't you talk about the Alexandrian kingdom isochronally speaking what is Daniel chapter 11 talking about here punch in the names into the proper locations on the timeline let's start with that so so what do you think is going on literally speaking give us the event horizon as to what God is 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 chasing after here per isochronal eschatology per the book of Ecclesiastes where it says that the Lord chases after what's been where does this all begin?
1: So um, Ezekiel chapter twenty-three mentions the two women, and it says they are the daughters of the same mother. And um, in 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 this isochronal event in the future, this refers to this mother which means the Satanic order. But in in the past, as we go in the past, it meant the Alexandrian kingdom. After Alexander died, it was divided um, among his generals the biggest of them were the king of the south which was the Egyptian kingdom and then the king of the north which was the Babylonian kingdom and we have um uh so in this story the Rushea represents Bernice she was given to Antiochus II Theos and um they had a son named Antiochus. Antiochus had formerly been married to a woman named Laodice. She murdered, it is believed that she murdered her husband, but afterwards she murdered Bernice and Antiochus. This caused war. Because Bernice's brother, Ptolemy III, um, comes to avenge her blood. And the um, Laodice has her son, uh, Seleucus II, become king. And this is uh, basically the war that goes on. So this event is described in Daniel chapter 11. But if we take this to an isochronal level, um, Antiochus II, Theos, is Nisroch in this area. And Bernice is Reshea. Laodice, I've given the name Lilith. She's referenced as becoming setting her nest in Babylon.
0: In direct reference, once again, this is this the same nest that Obadiah tells you is in the heavens, and it's brought to where this nest is brought to Babylon. Correct. Mm-hmm. Look up the verses, ladies and gentlemen, for Lilith in the Bible. It'll take you right to where you need to go.
1: Yeah, Isaiah chapter thirty-four. So, and then I call the son of Nisroch and Lilith, Shishak. Shishak. This is, this is, using the um, Atbash cipher, it is an inversion of Babel. The Hebrew word for Babylon. So he becomes the new king of the north. And it's is described that they make war. And Rishia's brother, Apis, who am I called? Apis was a deity in Egypt um, he comes up and he takes the maoz to his kingdom yeah this is the thievery event um, which tells you who's a little bit of who is who right back in the story so
0: in this text in Zechariah chapter 5 the liars are the ones that break this peace and war breaks out correct and the thief is the one that steals the maoz as a child
1: yes yep Okay, continue. This infant Ma'oz is in the possession of Apis for a while. Um, this is mean. That, this means that a bad inside has the upper hand. Nisroch is seems that he is murdered or something, but Shishak rises in his place, and he comes, and he keeps fighting against the king, uh, against Apis to get the child back. He fails multiple times. Eventually, he gets it back, and by that time. Shishak, it doesn't mention what happens to him but he disappears like he dies or something and then a new one shows up an oppressor in his place Maoz shows up this is when he's full grown he steals it, the kingdom, by intrigue
0: by intrigue
1: we don't even know how powerful this Maoz could be but
0: all we know is well, let's let's talk about this on this family tree here. Who is the Muaz's paternal parent? You're saying that's Shishak?
1: And the paternal parent is Nisroch. Is Nisroch? Nisroch okay. had two children. One by Lilith. Formerly, a divorce was uh, took place because, of course, they're like. So Nisroch is um. Belial's side is like, let's marry her, him to this woman. But they all knew that Lilith wasn't the perfect mother, so they give her. She Lilith is also called the daughter of women later in the chapter, but Nisroch divorces her and marries Reshea and has the males
0: and has the males. So this is what we're looking at. They can have their Nisroch all they want to, and this is which sides. Which of these two angels is on this side who has Nisroch? Nisroch is under Belial's. That's right. The king of the what? North. The north. They can have their uh, iron seed all they want to. You can, you can mate till the cows come home. You can have ten hundred male children... You don't have the right genetics. You've got to have the perfect female. You've got to have that clothing. You've got to have Reshea, which is in the in the hands of who? About him. The so, this house. This Daniel chapter 11 is just describing celestial events. It's describing angelic events, and this is the satanic civil war. And they come together with a peace treaty to make their moaz. Now, all that being said, we gotta take the next step. Because now we gotta to go to Revelation chapter 14. But you have to keep all these things in your back pocket because it's going to blow you away. It's literally gonna blow you away. Now, should we read this in the web or should we try the Thompson's translation? What what do you think, Aaron? Let's go web. Okay. This is all about the reaper. So go to Revelation chapter 14 and verse 14. But take note the word for sickle here is in verse 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, and 19. The only time it's not used is when the dimensions are given in the final verse, verse 20, which he's obviously doing that for a reason. Starting with verse 14 I looked and behold, Here we go again. Does nobody else realize that this is exactly what happened with Zechariah? Correct? The angel keeps telling, hey, look over here. Hey, look over there. All right, let's, let's do this. Sorry for the interruption. I looked and behold a white cloud and on the cloud was setting like a son of man, having on his head a golden crown and in his hand a sharp sickle. Another angel come out from the temple Crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud Send forth your sickle And reap For the hour to reap has come For the harvest of the earth is ripe He who sat on the cloud Thrust in his sickle on the earth And the earth was reaped Another king, another angel come out from the temple Which is in heaven He also had a sharp sickle Another angel come out from the altar, he who has the power over fire. And he called with a great voice to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, Send forth your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for the earth's grapes are fully ripe. The angel thrust his sickle into the earth and gathered the vintage of the earth and threw it to the great winepress of the wrath of God the wine press was trodden outside the city and blood came out from the wine press even to the bridles of the horses as far as 1,600 statia so absolutely off the hook, now some translations put that a little bit differently, let's try the New American Standard Bible of course it says for a distance of about 200 miles. The first thing you realize is in Zechariah we're given two dimensions, right? 10 by 20? That's the equation. 10A plus or times 20A equals 200. You're just given the whole equation here. Now, first off, you want to take note that it said, it, it was very particular how, how it put sending forth the sickle as if it was flying. Uh, verse 18. Send forth your sharp sickle.
1: So there's two reapings referenced here. Definitely one two like, reapings. From, one is like from the one like a son of man. Another one is from one who comes out of the temple from heaven.
0: Yes.
1: So are there two temples referenced here? So, is it in verse 15, is the first one from the earthly temple, and the other one from the heavenly temple? Because the first one in verse 15 doesn't describe coming from heaven specifically. Right.
0: And, I'm sorry, but you have to, you know, I, I'm forced to go to Isaiah chapter 24, where it says, the kings of the earth and their princes are gathered together in a cage. So, that's the first thing we we need to point out this very well could be talking about uh, the humans on earth their leaders and then these angelic princes is for the second harvesting this is what could be at play but I think not and I think not for uh, a very good reason when we go to uh, Matthew uh, the 13th chapter He talks about this all of the time. It's literally interwoven into several uh, of the parables. Uh, It's off the hook when you uh, read it, uh, because there is, uh, well, a parable of the tares, and a parable of the mustard seed, and really there's two or three parables going on here. The parable of the sower... And it's just, it's just absolutely off the hook. So let's go there and and let's read what Jesus has to say about this, riddling this to the people. We'll start with the parable of the tares in verse 24 of Matthew chapter 13. And we will take this in the web version as well. He sacked another parable before them saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field." But while people slept, his enemy came and sowed darnel weeds. You know, this doesn't sound right to me. Let's scratch that. We need tares. Everybody knows it's tares. Jesus presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came in and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. But when the wheat sprouted and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. The slaves of the landowner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. The slaves said, Do you want us to go and gather them up? And he said, No, for while you are gathering up the tares, you may uproot the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together into the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers first, Now listen, He's mentioning two here. Right, Aaron? Listen. Verse 30, Matthew chapter 13. Allow both to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, First, gather up the tares and bind them in bundles and burn them up. But gather the wheat into my barn. This is obviously a place that's been prepared for us, Aaron. This is the barn. Now, with that in mind, you have in between the parable of the the mustard seed and the parable of the leaven. But jumping down here to 36, privately, his disciples, you know, push him, gives the answer to the equation. Verse 36, Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. Aaron, why didn't they want an explanation of the other parables? Anyway, verse 37. And he said, the one who sows the good seed is what? Here we got this same phrase we just read from the first harvest in Revelation chapter 14. Verses 14, 15, and 16, it describes the one sitting on a cloud looking like the seed of man, or the son of man so let's continue the one who sows the good seed is the son of man and the field is the world and as for the good seed these are the sons of the kingdom comes right out and tells you and the tares are the sons of the evil one and the enemy who sowed them is the devil and the harvest is the end of the age and the reapers right there it is Aaron right there's that word And the reapers are the angels. So just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. The son of man will send forth his angels. This is Operation Angels Wings, Aaron. You have no way around it. He's literally getting right here ready to tell you. The son of man will send forth his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all the stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be a weeping and an gnashing of teeth. Now listen, just like Goshen what happens? Verse 43 Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Aaron You have to realize that isochronally this is happening a couple of times because first you have Operation Eagle's Wings, right? But then, after you're taken you're told specifically there's Karaz Rebellion, Revelation chapter 12, correct? Yeah. So you're having multiple events here woven in. Not only are you gathered to your barn the rest is cast into the outer darkness. And their end will be the lake of fire, correct? Revelation plainly states that. So, you put all these two and two and two and two together, you realize this tribulation trigger is just absolutely off the hook. It's off the hook what's happening here. When you realize that in these verses, in these chapters, Christ come right out and told you what was going on. So what if it says
1: <clears throat> the tares of the children of the wicked What? That's right. What if this is talking about Rachea? <sighs>
0: Rachea, the wickedness. Well, isochronally, let's go back to the event horizon. Let's go back to Korah's rebellion unfortunately Korah was a Levite amen mm-hmm. now we've already stated that the Muaz must be from the human line the human seed of Ephraim correct hmm. then you should expect prophetically this to be referring to Rashea did not did not the angel tells Zachariah, what's her name? Rasha wickedness so isochronically speaking he would have to encode that to you into Korah's Rebellion which happens in Revelation chapter 12 this is after this is post Operation Eagle's Wings just for good measure let's go there and read it And literally, this will just explode off of the page. We're going to start in verse 7. This is uh, the war and Operation Eagle's Wings. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels. And prevailed not, neither was their place found anymore in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now has come the salvation and the strength and the kingdom of our God. And the power of his Christ for the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the sword of their testimony or the word of their testimony and they loved not their lives unto death therefore rejoice ye heavens and ye that dwell in them woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea for the devil has come down unto you having great wrath because he knoweth that he hath but a short time and when the dragon saw That he was cast into the earth. He persecuted the woman which brought forth the male child. And to the woman were given two great, the wings of a great eagle. That she might fly into the wilderness into her place. This is a place prepared. Where she is nourished for a time, times, half a time from the face of the serpent. Here we go. Here are these tares inside the barn. And the serpent cast out of its mouth water as a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away in the flood. And the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood, which the dragon had cast out of its mouth. And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Here you have it. Lock, stock, and barrel. After Operation Eagle's Wings, you still have to go through Karaz Rebellion. And just like what happened in Karaz Rebellion, you'll take note the same event happens back in the Book of Numbers. There's absolutely no way around it. You have to take note that what happened was... And you'll take note that here, the 200 is again in verse 2 with the 250 princes. Um, Most notably, uh, it takes note here of the men of renown. But anyway, um, this is when the ground opens up and swallows Korah Rebellion, correct? This is the flood mentioned in Revelation chapter 12. So isochronally speaking, we have to go through this multiple times because we know at the end Christ himself comes back and that's another time when this event happens. so Aaron your your thoughts on all these connections
1: so we have reference to um, the first the first harvest and at that time there are planted among the wheat the tares or the weeds. <clears throat> which we suggest Are what says the children of the evil one This Here we're talking about The war in heaven and everything And that of course has definitely to do With this uh, Rashea project And it seems that it is um, By the time that he become, The male becomes an adult He is able to lead These forces of angels as it says in Daniel, chapter 8, that he would rise up into the host of heaven
0: and cause them to cast down, be cast down. Beyond any shadow of a doubt, this mawaz has the ability to command the host of heaven. It's absolutely off the hook that I don't think... It's almost like this is what happens, Aaron. They want to make this mawaz to command people. Instead, he turns around and assaults them. Yeah, so he tramples on them. So, off the hook, Aaron, um, we have this pictorial representation of these family trees, uh, one of the angelic and one from uh, the Alexandrian kingdom. We put that up we just took a picture of it and put it up there's no hard copy of it but once you put it down like this it's off the hook doesn't it? it makes sense you look at it and it makes sense this satanic civil war is real there's a reason why Revelation tells you that five have fallen yada 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 it gives you these intimate details for a reason It's literally from top to bottom, from Genesis to Revelation, from Old Testament, New Testament, punching in the proper integers into that equation, and everything makes sense. So, with that in mind, Aaron, let's uh, share with everybody where they can get a hold of you at. Um, What's your handle on uh, the social media platforms? Well, you can uh, get me on
1: uh, Facebook, of course, under Aaron Miller. You can also get a hold of me on Instagram, uh, Punkmo underscore rocker. Well,
0: ladies and gentlemen, um, I hope we have inspired you to start digging into the text. And until next time. God bless. Godspeed. FriendsRadioNetwork.com slash donate. We don't need your money to survive. We pay for the network with our own hard-earned cash. But if you want to help us grow and reach more people, just go to FriendsRadioNetwork.com slash Donate. For a donation of $20 or more, we'll send you a free network T-shirt. com slash donate.